From Genesis chapter 23, hear now the word of the Lord. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and entreat for me Ephraim, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephraim was sitting with the Hittite, among the Hittites, and Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the city gate. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephraim in the hearing of the people of the land. But if you will hear me. I give you the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephraim answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephraim, and Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field, field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites, before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that were in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Lord, this is a strange passage to us. What do negotiations over a burying place have to do with this church, with our very lives? We pray that you would show us from your word this morning for the sake of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I want to be really careful with what I'm about to say. I think it's going to come as a shock to some people. Um, And I say it with tenderness and hopefully with care, but I love funerals. And 
some funerals are, are harder than others. Uh, we think of the funeral of a young child as being particularly difficult. Um, and I don't take anything away from that. The, the funeral of a dear loved one, so difficult. Some of you may have just recently lost someone very dear to you. And if the Lord doesn't act miraculously, some of you will soon lose someone that's very dear to you. And so I say with much care that I love a Christian funeral. And the reason I try never to miss a funeral is a funeral does something to me that very few other things do. A funeral peels back the veil of this world in a way that almost nothing else does. And when it does, we get a clarity and a focus that gets lost in the shuffle of life, I think. But when we stand there we hear the preaching at the funeral when we hear the testimonies of the life of the person who's passed by the family, fond memories. Suddenly, all lies and all distractions and all endeavors, they seem to melt away. And we find ourselves standing before a fissure, a crevice. We find ourselves standing on the precipice of eternity. I wonder if any of you have experience this as I have. But this morning in God's word, we're witnessing a funeral of a loved one. It's the funeral, not the service necessary, but the occasion of Abraham's wife, Sarah, and her death. And I think it does something to Abraham. I'm going to try to prove that to you from God's word this morning. It does something to him. Have you ever known a couple, maybe your grandparents, maybe it's you, uh, who have been married for 70 or 80 years? Has anyone ever known such a couple? I have. And uh, when one of these spouses passes, it it does something. It does something to the, the one that's left here. The longer they've been together, the more life experience they've shared, the more pain, the more tears, the more prayer, the more joy they've experienced together, something changes in the one left behind. And it's this, they stop looking back as much as they start looking forward. And I think that's what's going on in Abraham's life. So keep your text handy and let's let's trace through this for just a moment. Verse 3 really gets me when I think about this. I'll start with 2. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Just think about where we've been in Abraham's life over the last few months. All of the longing and the, and the waiting and the disappointment that Abraham and Sarah experienced together. And then the blessing of the son of laughter, Isaac. And the hope that was renewed in them. All that they experienced together. Abraham goes in and he mourns 
and weeps for Sarah. And I think something happens to him while he's in there. Look at verse 3. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, stop right there. I think that there is some change in Abraham right here. He's wept for Sarah, he's mourned, and now he rises up from, from being with her. And he goes to the Hittites and he says, I am a sojourner, a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Is it strange to you that Abraham hasn't already done this? It's a little strange to me. Sarah's 127. Abraham's older. They haven't made any preparation for this moment. <laughs> or maybe this was just the right time to do it. And so we've got this strange um, banter back and forth for this, this piece of land that Abraham wants, don't we? It reminds me of two guys at dinner with their spouses sort of arguing over who's going to pay the bill. Do you remember that? I don't know, does that still happen anymore? You know, oh, I'll get it. No, 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 I'll get it. No, no, let me get it. You got it last time. No, I'll get it. Let me get it. And, and there's this banter back and forth between Abraham and Ephraim. I'll give you the field. Just take it. Nope, I'm going to pay for it. You can have the field. Just, no, nope, I want to pay the full price. Now look what Abraham says. The, the people have said, you can have any, any tomb you want. Any tomb you want at all. And Abraham says, if you're willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me, this is in verse 8, Ephraim, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, it is at the end of his field. That's pretty specific, isn't it? It's like, let's say, Richard, you had a family reunion, okay? And I came in and, and I was really hungry. And I said, uh, all the people were there. And I said, give me something to eat. Richard says, come on in. Whatever you want, take it. We will withhold nothing from you from this feast we're having at the family reunion. And my response to Richard is, I look, I look at everybody. And I say, entreat Richard for me that he would sell me that half slab of baby back ribs that's left in his refrigerator. It's on the second shelf. It's just to the right of the coleslaw and it's behind the baked beans. Now, what are you going to think? I've been in Richard's fridge already. I knew exactly what I wanted. And the only way I could know it is if I'd been scoping it out. You see, God told Abraham when he was making the promises, walk from one end of the land to the other. It's all going to be yours. Scope it out. Know it. I'm giving this land to you and your descendants. And for whatever reason, we don't know, Abraham has zeroed in with laser focus on this one place. This cave of Machpelah. So the banter goes back and forth a little bit and eventually Ephraim either shows his hand or gives in, I'm not quite sure, but he says, come on, 
what is a land worth, oh, let's say, 400 shekels of silver between you and me? Well, he's just named his price, hasn't he? Abraham's getting hosed, by the way. I mean, he does throw in the field and the trees and all that, but he's getting hosed on this deal. Abraham doesn't care. He immediately, look, let's, let's, look, let's look at it together. Verse 16, listen carefully. Abraham listened to Ephraim. And Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver according to the weights current among the merchants. You know, this little phrase that we've seen in the text a couple of times, all who go in at the city gate, these are the leaders of the town. Whatever Hittite city they're in, everybody who has some kind of say is there. And in the, in the, in the view and to the precise amount, to the precise weight, even to the, the merchants of that day, the latest setting of the scales... Have you ever re-zeroed scales in a chemistry project or something like that? They get a little off. It's a little heavier. It's a little light. The magnesium doesn't burn like it's supposed to. You know what I'm talking about. The, sales, the scales are reset. With precision, Abraham immediately measures out the 400 shekels. And he gladly gets hosed on this deal to get the thing that he most wants. This cave. And I think it's because Abraham is laser-focused on the future. He's no longer looking back. He's laser-focused on what comes next. He gets this burial place from the Hittites. You know what he does? He plants Sarah in the ground. He plants his wife in Canaan. That's important. You know, it just wasn't, it wasn't just Sarah's bones that lie in that cave. This cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, east of Mamre. The Bible tells us Isaac buried his father Abraham there when he died. And Jacob buried his father Isaac there. And in Genesis 49, 31, we read these words of Jacob. Bury me with my father's in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with a field from Ephraim the Hittite for a burying place. And later in that passage, Jacob says that Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Leah, and Jacob are all buried in this cave. Isn't that amazing? As Pastor Kent Hughes put it, Machpelah in Hebron became a monument to Abraham's faith in God and God's sure word of promise. And you may say, well, a lot of good that did him. So there's a bunch of uh, Hebrew bones in some cave in Canaan. Maybe that's interesting to some archaeologists, but it's not as interesting as the Pharaoh's. At least the pharaohs were buried with great treasures, artifacts of beauty and historical significance. So what if there's a bunch of dusty old bones, old Hebrew bones in a cave somewhere in Canaan? So what? 
You know, that's a legitimate question. And that's what I've struggled with this week. It's a good question. And I was listening to a sermon this week on this same passage, and the preacher said something that really stuck with me. Listen to this. He said, when we come to a passage like this, strange bickering over burial ground, <laughs> we have to remember that Moses wrote the book of Genesis while the people of Israel were living the book of Exodus. Let me say that again. Moses wrote the book of Genesis while the people of Israel were living the book of Exodus. Now, why out of all the stories from Abraham's life and, and the rest of the patriarchs and their families and all the acts of God, why did this scene from Abraham's life make the cut? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire Moses to record this land negotiation? And why this constant theme throughout the whole book of burying Abraham's descendants in this cave, this particular cave in Canaan? You know, perhaps it's because of the fickle and doubting hearts of the Israelites of the Exodus. Perhaps they were always tempted to look back and wonder, is this really worth it? Thankfully, that's not conjecture because the Bible tells us that that's exactly what happened. Is what lies ahead as good as what lies behind? That's the question. You know, in Exodus 16, just a few days after God has miraculously delivered Israel from the armies of Pharaoh by parting the Red Sea, pretty amazing, and they walked across on dry land, the people face a little hardship. They've had a hard time finding fresh water, and the Lord miraculously turns bitter water into sweet, drinkable water. And then their appetites, they turn to food. And in verse 3, we read this, Exodus 16, 3. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed the land of Egypt. Verse 2 reads, listen. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, What? Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Translation, it ain't worth it. Take me back to Egypt where I can die full and satisfied. And this is not the last time that people say something like this, by the way. Numbers 13, God directs Moses to send spies into the land. And when he does, verse 22 reads, They went up into the Negev and came to, that's right, Hebron. The spies actually see Hebron just before them. Just before them lies the one small piece of land that Abraham actually owned. It's the only part of the land that's already theirs. And at the end of a field lies the cave of Magpila. 
and in it a testimony to their past and their future. The faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it stood up across the centuries and it said, this is where you belong. In the land that the Lord your God is giving you. But you may remember most of the spies, they give a bad report to the people, don't they? When the spies return, most of them, they tell the congregation, the people of the land are bigger than you. They're stronger than you. Their great cities are fortified beyond anything you can imagine. We are not able to take this land. Now Caleb, he tries to reassure the people, but the consensus is this, it's a lost cause. After all this, can you imagine the heartache of the people at this point? After all this time and struggle in the wilderness to get onto the edge of the land and have your leaders tell you, we can't go in. Devastating. And how do the people respond? Listen to this. Chapter 14 begins with these words. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled again against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. In verse 4, And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Man. Do you ever feel that tension? of looking back, of wondering if it's worth it? Is what lies ahead better than what lies behind you? Do you ever feel that? I think it's the same tension Abraham must have felt when he knelt down beside the body of his bride of a hundred years. To weep and mourn. Will I go back to Haran or Ur? Or will I go into the future that God has promised? The place God says I truly belong. Abraham rose up from before his dead. I'm sorry, I'm overwhelmed with this. He said to the Hittites, sell me the cave of Machpelah. And generation after generation was buried in that tomb as a testimony to all who had longed to return to Egypt that it's worth it. It's worth it. And that little cave stood as a down payment. It stood as a down payment on the inheritance to come, always serving to draw forward, to draw out those who might be tempted to look back. And you may say, Eric, the cave of Machpelah is not enough for me. Nor should it be. Because it was not enough for Abraham. It was only a foretaste. And Abraham's actions in this passage, they send a clear message. It's this. Even in the death of my bride, I am looking forward and not behind me. 
But to what was Abraham looking? What future did he have? If my math is right, he's around 136 at this point, right? Abraham's looking to the fulfillment of all the promises of God. Now, as I often do on Saturday nights, if I'm preaching the next day, uh, last night I was sitting by the fire ring. It was an extremely clear night. And looking up at the thousands of stars you can see with the naked eye, I remembered the promises that God made to Abraham. You know, behind those visible stars, I think it's around 10,000, don't quote me, there is a vast array of stars that no man could ever count. Billions upon billions of blazing fireballs across the universe to the glory of God. And as I looked up, I began to recount all those promises God made to Abraham. God promised to give Abraham a son, and he did. God promised to make Abraham into a great nation, which he did. God promised to give Abraham's descendants the land of Canaan, and under the leadership of Joshua, he did. And Joshua would even say, all the promises that God made to you are fulfilled. But you know what? There's two other promises. There's two other promises that God makes to Abraham that have to bust out of this. To make Abraham's descendants so numerous that numbering them would be like numbering the stars. And even our passage, I believe in Hebrews this morning, says that, you know, metaphorically that happened. Great, great nation. This jacket is getting on this microphone. One second. Um, so there's these, these other promises that they're just too good. Descendants numbered with the stars. And then this last one. God said to Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Thousands of tongues. That burial cave seems like a small concession in light of these last two promises, doesn't it? A swath of land about the size of New Jersey seems like a small concession in light of these two promises. Friends, Abraham's sights were not set on Canaan alone. Canaan at first for sure. The cave was a small down payment. And according to the New Testament, so was the whole land. From Hebrews 8, we've already read it this morning. I won't look at the whole thing, but listen. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And here it is. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Verse 13, all these, all these faithful believers died in faith, not having received 
the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus, they make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And verse 16 of Hebrews 11 says this, But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. And do you know what? Abraham was right to hope for more. He was right to greet from afar a better country. You see, the tomb of Machpelah, that cave tomb, it was not the only tomb in Canaan. There was another tomb where a prince of God was buried, but this other tomb stands as a far better reminder that what lies ahead is better than what lies behind. Against the entire tide of human history, this tomb, the tomb of Jesus Christ, stands open and empty. Abraham and his family went into the tomb of Machpelah, in, 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 always in, and never out. Jesus Christ went into that garden tomb, and he came out. Abraham was honored among the people of the land. Jesus was despised and rejected by his own people. Abraham was honored at the gate of the city. Jesus was driven from the city and crucified outside the gate. Abraham gave 400 shekels of silver for a burial place for his family. Jesus Christ gave his very life that no burial place could ever hold his. What lies ahead, ahead is better than what lies behind. Friends, the empty tomb of Jesus Christ is a down payment and a foretaste of what lies ahead for you and me. I proclaim to you this morning on the authority of the word of God, which never fails, those who trust in Jesus Christ will one day follow Jesus in resurrection to eternal life. And no cave, no ossuary, no crypt, no watery ocean grave, no furnace will be able to hold back the sons and daughters of God when Jesus Christ says, come out. What lies ahead is far better than what lies behind. The cave of Machpelah stood as a testimony to the people of Israel that the land is where they belonged. The empty tomb of Jesus Christ cries out to all the earth and says, come to Jesus Christ and live. You know, for Abraham, some of the fulfillment of God's promises stood far into the future. The placement of his and Sarah's bones in that cave would be a, a permanent testimony that could stand the test of time to the down payment that God was making. But it would be hard to say that Abraham lived right on the edge, right on the eve of that fulfillment, wouldn't it? It's going to be a long time. It was going to be a long time before Joshua planted that stake. And said the promise is fulfilled. But not so with us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ inaugurated the kingdom of God. The coming of the kingdom in a profound way. When we pray together, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just like we did as Nick led us this morning. Listen, that is not a pie in the sky prayer. 
That's not a do that someday, Lord, kind of prayer. Jesus Christ has broken in. Paul says in Ephesians 1, In him, that is Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is what? A guarantee, a down payment of our inheritance until we require possession of it to the praise of his glory. Abraham purchased a down payment of the land until his descendants could acquire possession of it. And while it stood as a powerful reminder that the land is where they belonged, it stood as a fixed monument also to another power. The power of sin. In that every human life would end in death. In, 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 and never out of that cave. Jesus' empty tomb speaks a far better word to us this morning. Jesus Christ is risen and living, and even now we stand on the eve of fulfillment. You know, people come to me all the time, um, and they say something to me like, you know, Eric, I think we're living in the end times. And yes, and I always answer, I think you're right. But I almost never have time to explain what I mean with that affirmation. The New Testament says that since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are living in these last days. We are living in days that are different than what came before. The kingdom of God in Christ is already breaking into this world. And whether Jesus Christ returns today or tomorrow, and he could, or in a thousand years, you and I live on the eve of fulfillment. In fact, we live in the realm of partial fulfillment as we wait a complete fulfillment. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. You probably won't. Everyone in this room will, sooner than later, stand face to face with Jesus Christ in a matter of years, either to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant, on his merit, or these terrifying words, depart from me, I never knew you. The empty tomb of Jesus Christ stands before each of us as a witness to who he is. Do you stand at a crossroads this morning? Are you asking yourself, is it worth it? Is he worth it? Are you tempted to go back? Gaze into the empty tomb of Jesus Christ and ask yourself, am I going to live this day for what lies behind me or what lies ahead of me? The trek through the wilderness is a hard one. And it can be exhausting at times. And in our weaknesses and exhaustion, we can look fondly at what we left to follow Jesus Christ. Some of you at a crossroads this morning 
you're looking fondly at what you would have to leave to follow him. Don't let anybody ever tell you it doesn't cost anything to follow Jesus Christ. That's why he said, take up your cross and follow me. Are you looking back at what you've left and wondering, is he worth it? We can look fondly back at what we left to follow Jesus. The comforts of sin, the approval of self-righteousness that we give ourselves. The people of Israel faced hunger and thirst in the wilderness. And they gazed fondly upon the meat pots and the bread ovens of Egypt. But do you know what they forgot? The whips. The empty tomb of Jesus Christ stands before you this morning. Even now, as Hebrews told us this morning, even now he is preparing a better city for us. A city where God dwells with his people, a new heavens and a new earth. Behind us lies the bondage of our sin and sure condemnation before us with Jesus the risen one lies a kingdom and a future no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has come into the heart of man what it might be like. No mind can comprehend what it's going to be like. If you stand at a crossroads this morning, let me point you forward. Follow Jesus into life. Abraham rose up from Sarah's body and he set his face toward Canaan. Jesus Christ, when he knew his hour had come, set his face toward Jerusalem. He set his face toward Jerusalem and he went to the cross and then he went to the grave. He did not stay there. Praise God. Even now the call of the gospel goes out to you this morning. Come to Jesus Christ and live. You know, when Jesus um, met with his disciples, just as he was about to ascend back to the Father to go prepare this city, he said these words, All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We do wait for a city, and it's a better city, but this, the kingdom is broken in. Even now, as we go ahead following Jesus, <laughs> tell people. You see, this little down payment that God gave Abraham The borders of that cave, the borders of the land of Canaan were broken outward when Jesus Christ came out of that tomb. And now the whole world is the land. Your neighbors are in God's land and they need to hear about the risen Jesus Christ. So this morning as you're at crossroads, 
look ahead and follow the Lord in all that he has done for us. It was he who set his face to Jerusalem. It was he that died for our sins. It was he that rose again from the dead. And it is he that calls us out to partner with him. All the authority is his. Let's tell the world. Let's pray. Father, many of us this morning, we stand at crossroads. Some of them are not crossroads of salvation or condemnation. Some of them are lingering thoughts. Some of them are crossroads of exhaustion. Some of them are crossroads of despair. Lord, help us. Help us to look forward to all that lies ahead of us in Jesus Christ and not behind that we might, with you and in the power of the Holy Spirit, make the name of Jesus Christ known as you have blown the gates outward. This whole world is yours. I pray that this kingdom would break in more and more in our own hearts and our lives, in the lives of our neighbors and our friends and our families. Lord, break, break us open that we would tell of the goodness, of the grace, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name.